0: services here at the Boonville Church of Christ. We'd like to welcome each and every one of you, but especially to our visitors who are not currently members here, they're watching over the internet, uh, we especially welcome you and hope you'll be edified by the lesson from the Bible to be broken open this evening. If, uh, if you would, bow with me and we'll have a short prayer before uh, Brother Ken Forrest comes to uh, lead our lesson. Our Father in Heaven, we thank you for this day that we've had to gather together to worship you father we pray that our worship will be to your will father we pray that you will be with all those during this time father who are having sicknesses who are having loss of family members father we pray that you will be with them comfort them strengthen them and father we ask you that you will be with us that you will open our hearts and minds this lesson is about to be brought before us and that we will take this lesson and live it before others, that they may see Christ living in us. In Christ's name, amen.
1: Thank you so much, Chris, and again, so glad that you could be a part of our study tonight, and yes, I I notice that there are lots of folks that tune in from various places, and we're, we're really thrilled that you're joining us for our study, and if this is the first time that you've tuned in, I'll tell you that we have basically just begun a study regarding how to build a great church. So we're looking at various components of what's going to be necessary once we add them all together to have the kind of church that's going to please God. And, well, it just kind of happened that here I've begun my work with the Boonville Church and we've kind of had a break because of the illness. So all these things are working together. We're going to be restarting here shortly about the 30th of August. We'll have our first Sunday together again and we're looking forward to that. So all these things we're talking about are going to build toward a climax and we are hopeful God's going to bless us as we're equipping ourselves to be a great church. We started off by talking about having a great purpose, our mission as a church, and talking about all the components of that and, and the idea of pulling together and looking toward the future, and then kind of segueing from that into the next lesson that dealt with great unity and great compassion for one another. And then that lended itself to the final idea that we talked about last week of being our brother's keeper. Now, tonight we're going to talk about something that I'm sure some of, some of you are going to say this, this is a conflict of interest. <laughs> but we're going to talk about how that we are a people who expect great preaching. Now, I don't think it's a conflict of interest simply because all all I want to do is to share with you what the Bible has to say about preaching and our general expectation of the preacher himself. Uh, Jeremy, as we were getting ready for our lesson, I said, well, I don't know, you probably should have somebody else teach that. Well, maybe so. But Jeremy, you want to come down here and do this? Nah, he says that's okay. You just go ahead. So he had the opportunity. I want to. I want to kind of get a background related to this notion. Just just to think about how special and important the idea of preaching itself is. I, I'll make this statement, and you can disagree with me if you want to, but. I'm going to tell you that the key to growth in the church is the work of the preacher. Now, what I mean by that is he's the key, that, that is, he is, he is a, a focal point for the work of the church. All the things that we're going to be talking about, things we talked about before and we'll be adding, he kind of is the, the hinge pin upon which all those other things are going to work. Preaching... And the proclamation of God's word is so powerfully important. In fact, if, if you were to look back through history, you would realize that preaching has had a tremendous impact on our world. In fact, I, I would say that most of the major moments in history, the movements that have gone throughout history, the things that make history itself often began with the effort of a preacher using the art and the method of preaching itself in order to move and motivate, to inspire people to do something. Now sometimes it was spiritual, sometimes it was political, and at other times it was militaristic. But however the outcome, the point that I'm trying to make is The origination of much of the inspiration or the motivation to act came from someone standing in a pulpit somewhere and preaching or proclaiming a message. Now, God believes clearly that preaching is the means or the method by which he wants his work and his purposes communicated to the world that's clear with just a a cursory examination of the scriptures. Uh, We'll think about the New Testament scriptures, for instance, and immediately when I think about God's plan, I think about his son, and well, you know, his only begotten son came preaching the gospel of the kingdom, Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. It was on the day of Pentecost recorded in Acts chapter 2 that the church began and 3,000 souls were added to them but that was the result of some fiery preaching that was being done by Peter and the rest of the apostles it was a church that was under persecution in Acts chapter 8 and verse 4 that once they left their safety net of Jerusalem the Bible says that they went everywhere preaching the word in 1st Corinthians chapter 1 verse 21 it says that it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe now what that passage does not say is that preaching is foolishness It says that the message that was being preached, those who received it, many times thought, this is a foolish notion. But God had chosen that means, the means of preaching, in order to get his message that some, upon at least first glance, thought was a foolish and crazy idea. God knew that the preaching of that message, a communication from one person to another or to groups of people, would be a powerful means of changing minds and hearts. You will probably remember that the very last thing that Jesus commanded his apostles to do as he was ascending to heaven, Mark chapter 16, verse 15, was to go into all the world, well, you know it, and preach the gospel to every creature. The apostle Paul, who was one of the great preachers of the first century as his life was ending and most likely the very last letter that he wrote to Timothy, 2 Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2, what is it that Paul is signing off telling this young preacher to do? Well, it's very simply this, to preach the word. There's no question the idea of preaching that it is a necessary important. And I will say as regards growth, it is the thing that is most important in the life of a church. If a church is going to grow, then they're going to have to have in their midst a great preacher. And if we're going to be a people who are committed to having a great church, then not only should we just hope to have a preacher who can fill those shoes, but we should expect that our preacher is going to meet certain well, certain requirements of the scripture. Now, I wanna share something with you I think is powerful. This actually comes from 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 11. The Apostle Paul is addressing Timothy, and it's just kinda going along several, several things that Paul is encouraging Timothy to do, but it's just the way that he addresses Timothy in this text that I think is so interesting. He says, but you, O man of God, Now, you can stop right there. It's that little phrase, O man of God, that I want us to think about for a few minutes. O man of God, Timothy, you are God's man. And so what I have to say should impact you as God's man. Timothy was God's man. You know who our preacher ought to be? Our preacher ought to be the same thing that Timothy was. Our preacher, maybe along with many others, but especially the one who's going to fill that pulpit, that guy ought to be God's man. In fact, I'm going to suggest to you that if he isn't God's man, then he can bring the church down into a pit quicker than anybody else possibly could. He could be the ruination of a church if he is not truly God's man. There's a kind of, I guess I'm going to call it a lamentation. If Paul ever cried over a thing, I'm imagining that he shed tears over this. And that was what was happening As he was hearing about the work going on in the Philippian church, in the very first chapter of the book of Philippians, he just goes on about how there's some people who who preach out of a good heart, some who preach out of envy and strife, some are motivated by love, some are motivated by their own desires. But he just gets right to the heart of it in chapter 2 at verse 21, because he says right there, they seek their own. They seek their own. That is, they're not seeking after the things of Christ Jesus. They're not interested in that. What they are interested in is themselves. A preacher who is not God's, but who rather is working an agenda for himself, he's seeking his own It's not seeking the things of Jesus Christ. What a shame. Again, that attitude brings ruination to the church. And I kind of get the idea that Paul, realizing that that can happen, especially in the life of a young preacher, encouraged Timothy, not, not, to, not to manifest those evil or, or negative desires for advancement and so forth of doing their own thing, but, but to keep his mind centered on the work of God. And so in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 12, he says, you, you be an example to the believers in word, conduct, love, spirit, faith, and purity. You be, you be God's man. So I want to take it a step further. I want to say, have courage, O oh man of God. You know, if you're, go- if you're going to be God's man and you're going you're to struggle with all of these negative effects that are out there and you're truly going to stand up for the truth, there's always going to be some kind of conflict that you're facing. So you not only are God's man, but you've, you've got to have courage in the work that you're doing. I'm telling you, a preacher of the gospel, our man of God, he's got to be bold, he's got to be courageous, he's got to be enthusiastic, energetic about the word of God, because it's living and it's powerful. How about this? Let's frame it this way. He's got to be a soldier of Jesus Christ. In 2 Timothy chapter two, verses three and four, the idea of that is expressed. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Now stop right there. If you truly are that soldier of Jesus Christ, if you are God's man, question, who enlisted you for this job? Who is it that called you to this work well the one who is dutiful the one who has his mind right the one who is god's man who has the courage to take on that role he says well you know what i answer to one i answer to the lord so many i think get tripped up and maybe this was the negative aspect of it when they think about working with a church well they think about What power I could have. What kind of church is it? Is this a church where I can get a lot of prestige? Will people think highly of me because I preach there? Uh, Maybe they look at the numbers and say, you know what, I'm not going to preach for a church except that it has this many people. But the desire there is, again, for one's own agenda. And I would suggest to you to the neglect of the growth of that church. A person who is working their own agenda is only looking at a church as a stepping stone to some other personal work of gratification, something that will make me feel better about myself. Lord, help us that the preacher we have, our expectation of him is that he is God's man, that he's going to have the courage and the wherewithal to stand up even the face of onslaught of difficulties that arise. So I'm thinking about him and I'm thinking about the challenges that he faces. And, and I wanna put this out there because this, this is kinda of important to me. I, I want our preacher to be able to work among the body of Christ with something that I'm gonna call joyous abandon. Now, what is joyous abandon, Ken? Well, Initially, I want to tell you that what I'm thinking here is somebody who can just jump into a work and just, man, it just it just feels good, it feels right, these are my people, and I'm happy to serve God to the fullest. That's the idea. No reservations on the work that's being done. Now, I want to back up from there, and I want to ask you, uh, what what expectations do you think we should make of our preacher? For instance, if we were going to write down some qualifications, what would we say? What's interesting about that is we have, for instance, the example of Timothy and Titus and their interaction with the Apostle Paul. and We can go through those books and we can see the things that Paul was encouraging them to do, but it's it's not really like what we have with the elders and the deacons, you know, in those cases, we have a list of qualifications. And while there are some places that talk about characteristics and and the importance of the word of God in the life of a preacher, there there are no instances like with the elder and the deacon where you just have a, a list, one thing right after the other, the responsibility of a preacher. So when we think about the scriptures and, and what's going on there, what would we expect of our preacher? Well, you've probably seen the humorous uh, thing that goes around. People talk about qualifications. They say, well, now, you know, we want our preacher, we want him to be tall, but not too tall. And we don't want him too fat, but we don't want him too skinny either. And we we want a young preacher, but we want him to have 50 years of experience. (laughs) You know, we want all these things out of our preacher, many of which maybe for most people are unattainable. But what is it that the scriptures actually expect of God's man? You might not be surprised to find that much of what is expected of God's man, well, Is expected of of every Christian, of God's man and woman sitting in that pew, just as much as the preacher. Now, we already noticed that Paul instructed Timothy, you know what? Don't don't let anybody despise your youth, but you be an example to the believers in word, conduct, love, spirit, faith, and purity. Those things were important, but just back up from that. Paul says, Timothy, you be that, but you're being that so that you can be an example to other people so that, there you have it there'll be that too we're all aspiring to the same kinds of characteristics but what are some things that would be important to us if if we're looking at our preacher and we we want we want and expect a great preaching out of him well here are a few things that I kind of threw together I think are important as we think about our preacher and building a great church we need to have a preacher who is time conscious. And what I mean by that is not looking at his watch, make sure that he didn't preach over 30 minutes. Oh, please, I would never suggest that. <laughs> but what I'm talking about is somebody who doesn't waste time. You know, he's in the work of the Lord, not just on a Sunday, but every single day. That, that is his life. So don't be, don't be wasting your time and your efforts When there's so much work to do, as we have discussed in previous lessons, there's a world that's lost and we need to be dutiful about finding those ways to reach them. And I I think the preacher needs to be very conscious of the use of his time and the dedication of time and effort to the cause that he's been enlisted to as a soldier of Jesus Christ. I I also think it's important that a preacher spend time in the study of God's word. In fact, I would suggest to you that a preacher ought to be a lifetime student of the Bible. Now, that does not mean that, oh, well, our preacher is continually signed up to take courses at Fried Hardeman University or some, some other uh, place of high learning. That, that, that's not my point there. Nothing against it, but the idea is, you know what? <laughs> Whether somebody is looking over my shoulder or not, I need to know that my preacher is digging into the Word of God, that he understands the Word, that he is feeding his own soul, so that in the process of his own feeding, he can be able to feed us too. I want to know that our preacher is someone who is a lifetime learner in the Word of of God. I also want to know that our preacher, well, how do I put it, that he has a pleasing Personality. Now, what I do not mean by that is that he has a personality, I would say, a personality flaw where he's just a people pleaser. That that is not what I mean. What I mean is that he has a personality that everybody can get along with in the sense that he's open to everybody, doesn't exclude certain groups of people. Everybody is an interest of his. So he has a pleasing personality in the sense that he's welcoming of everybody. Our preacher ought to be that way. He ought not associate with just one or two groups within the congregation, but he should he should be a friend a friend to all. I think our preacher needs to be one who is financially in control and what I mean by that is that he has his, his finances in order. The church, the church isn't bailing him out all the time. Now, you can believe this or not, but I've heard of several occasions where a preacher came into town. He, 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 he uh, racked up a bunch of debts with local merchants, then he left. And the church was left with the responsibility of handling those debts. And, and if they weren't responsible for the debts, they certainly certainly faced a terrible uh, backlash from their community. How in the world could your preacher do this to us? Man, that is destructive to the reputation of a church and a community. So I, I think our preacher needs to be in control of his finances. As we talked about earlier, and we will flesh this out a good bit here later in our lesson, I believe our preacher needs to be committed to preaching the word. I mean, that's his foundational work. But he's preaching a biblical and a challenging sermon from that pulpit up there. Doesn't, as Paul warned, he doesn't have his own agenda, but he's seeking to do the things of Christ. So that means. He's not going to be, you know, he's not going to be riding his own hobby horse. He's not going to be constantly jabbing other people for his own benefit. It doesn't become a bully pulpit, but that he uses that venue in order to teach the whole council of God. Now, our man of God, our preacher, he's got to be a leader too. Most often, I guess, when we think about our leaders, we think about our elders. Who are vested with that responsibility. We may even think about our deacons who have various roles within the congregation. But the preacher also has a leadership role, especially as regards often his representation of the work that the elders do. I mean, he becomes essentially the mouthpiece of our eldership. So our our preacher, he has to have a let's call it a, a sense of diplomatic leadership. That is, he's going to be leading, but but he needs to use tact and understanding in the implementation of the agenda of the elders. He needs to be somebody who in, I guess best way to describe it is a kind of go-between as regards the leadership itself and the members. He's gotta be a leader Uh, that is able to work and and balance the life of that congregation. Our man of God's got to be diplomatic that way. Our man of God also has got to be effective in visitation, not just visiting folks that he, he likes to see, you know, his closest friends, but he's interested in those who are homebound. He's interested in those who are very sick, He's interested in visits to the hospital when that that becomes a thing. He is interested, again, not just in certain sects within the body, but he is interested in the whole membership of touching the lives of everybody and doing his very best to extend himself to others to visit even when maybe they don't reciprocate. It's just the idea of continuing to make contact with the body that he serves. And then I think about our man of God as being somebody who is soul-focused. That is, he's evangelistic. Not only does he proclaim the word of God in a public way from the pulpit and seek to inspire others to share that message, but he can be a leader in that. Uh, He is maybe more than anybody else equipped to share God's word, not just publicly, but in a private setting. So our, our man of God, he needs to be desirous of doing Bible studies and saving souls. Our man of God needs to be in continual fellowship with God. And as an extension of that fellowship with God... He's going to want to fellowship with God's people. And so there's the interaction with God and with others, a kind of communion that brings everybody together. If there's one thing that becomes consistent throughout the body, it should be everybody's understanding that, that we are connected. And our preacher ought to be one of those who helps to facilitate that coming together, that, that meshing of different folks from all kinds of social and um, uh, ethnic and racial circumstances, just bringing everybody together so that there are no barriers to our fellowship. Our preacher, our man of God, ought to be a self-starter. God and I have to sit around waiting for somebody to tell him to do something, because as we've already noticed, there's plenty of him uh, plenty for him to do. So let's have a guy who is a self-starter and is ready to go, doesn't have to be told what to do all the time. That doesn't mean he's not open to suggestions, but it does mean he doesn't just sit around in his office on his hands waiting for something to do. He needs to be an early riser, the sense that, you know what? There's no time to waste. Maybe you can spend that time early mornings reflection on God's word, whatever. But if there is work to be done, we're not going to be lounging around. We're going to be busy at the Lord's work. And there needs to be a there needs to be a high uh, level of energy in our preacher. Somebody just just can't be stopped, right? He is on a mission for God, and we're just and we are ourselves motivated to go because we see that our preacher, our man of god is busy on the go as well. Now, I mentioned at the beginning, I tried to try to kind of couple all of this together under the heading joyous abandon. But while every one of those individually kind of contributes to that notion, just just the joy and and the the lack of restriction in doing the things of god I want to tell you what really kind of motivates or drives the phrase itself. Some years ago, I had a a preacher friend. He'd already worked with several congregations in the past, and I guess he was kind of a a mentor to me. And we were sitting talking one day, and he said, Now, Ken, I I will tell you something. As As you're starting your ministry, he said, You know, when I... When I had my first work, I went into that work, and boy, I got involved with everybody, and and I kind of extended myself out there trying to make friends with everybody in that congregation. And I shared things about myself. They would share things about themselves. And he said, initially, boy, that thing just worked out great. But he said, over time, people would start using information or things they knew about me against me to attack me. And he said, you know what I've decided I've decided that the next work that I begin, I'm going to go in there with the intention of kind of keeping a distance between myself and that congregation. Now, understand I'm still going to preach and I'm going to be nice to people, but I am not going to get close to anybody. Well, you know what? Okay, (laughs) if that's how you want to do it. But I... I just, I have a hard time wrapping my mind around that concept. If, if our preacher is going to be the man of God that he proposes himself to be, if he's going to be in fellowship with God and with us, if he's going to, if he's going to truly know what's going on with me, then the only, way, only reason he's going to know what's going on with me is I trust him. And the only way I'm going to get that trust is to know something about him. I, 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 this, this whole idea of relationship and fellowship is a two-way street. So I'm going to expect that our preacher is somebody who, who serves God with just what I said, joyous abandon. He is going to be filled with joy in his service to God, and he's got, going to be held back with the limitations of a fear that maybe he's extending himself out too much or that somehow or other he's just going to ruin himself as a result of relationships with others i think our preacher needs to set those notions aside and be one of us don't you i think that he ought to operate with joyous abandon now i want to get to this last point because honestly Here is the thing. All the stuff that we talked about previously, all that's important. And we should be expecting that if we're going to have a great preacher, that he's going to line up with the things we talked about thus far. He's going to be God's man, and he is going to function with great joy and abandon. But the scriptures, when they look at God's man at the very top of his list, is 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2? Preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. Preach the word. The great responsibility, the great work, the great need of the preacher is to preach the word. That's his thing. The great need of humanity is to hear that word that he preaches. Now isn't that simple? Those are bookends. I want my preacher to preach the word. And I and the rest of humanity that will hear it, I want to hear that word. I want to take it in. I want to trust that what he has to say comes from that holy word and that it impacts me. And as it's impacting me, I'm just, you know, I'm filling up with that word and it's doing its work. That is ideal. Preach the word. Our man, our preacher ought to be about the word of God. But now, you know what? I I hear people, and they say, "Yeah, yeah, you know, word of God, yeah, all that, but you know ken i i don't know maybe that word is just not as you know as applicable today in this modern world as say it was in the first century boy i i, I read those letters inspired letters no question about it. i read those and and i see those settings and i say to myself well i don't know maybe maybe that was just for that time maybe the word of god just isn't applicable to us Maybe it's not relevant to us anymore. Well, my answer to that is, first of all, how deep are you in the Word of God? (laughs) But secondly, let's just talk about my own experience. The pragmatic argument against the idea of the irrelevancy of the Word of God is that, from personal experience, the Word of God is nothing but relevant to me. Listen to how the word speaks of itself, and and I think about how it's talking, and I realize, wait a second, what it's saying right there is so true for me. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 says that the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Now, that's just one verse of Scripture. But when I think about my experience with the Word of God, here's what I realize. So I'm reading along there, those Scriptures, and all of a sudden, something just kind of hits me. It just jumps out of the page at me. I examine it. I parse it out. I go word for word, and I'm like, man, now here is some truth that maybe is offering a light to my path. I've got to make some changes. The Word of God, here according to this text, is living. It's not just a dead letter on the page. It's not like, not like going down to the beach and reading that thick novel and you keep reading the same page over and over again all day long. It's not like that. The Word of God is living. It, it is convicting to the sense that it just cuts right through everything that we are and it gets to the point with us. James puts it another way in James chapter 1, beginning verse 21. He says, Lay aside all filthiness, overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who observes his natural face in a mirror. He observes himself and goes his way and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But whoever looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. Now, that kind of takes it a step further. So I'm reading the word of God. What do I do with it? Do I just read it and say, boy, that was a good point, and then go my way? No, if the word of God is going to have its effect on me, I'm going to stop and I'm going to say, wait a second, This, this is cutting to the quick with me. Here's something that is at fault with me. I need to change it. Scripture says, be a doer of that word and not just a hearer. And so I hear that word and I say, all right, here's what needs to be done. And then what? I do it. He says, if you don't do it, it's kind of like a guy who goes and he looks in a mirror and he says, oh, you know what? I, I need to I need to shave or, or I need to need to comb my hair. I need to do something. But then he kind of turns away from the mirror, forgets all of that examination, and then goes on his way. You see, he learned something of value, but he didn't implement it. If I say the Bible's irrelevant, I'm probably in that category. First of all, maybe I've not dug into it. But secondly, even when I dig into it, am I giving the Word of God its due? Am I allowing it to challenge me? to teach me, and then am I am I just going on my way, or am I implementing the things that the Word of God says? Now, there will still be some of you out there that go, yeah, you know what, Ken, that, that is true, but I, I tell you, uh, for me, for me, I, I, I believe in God, and, and I get you, the Bible's important, but You know, really, just for me, the time that I have, really don't have that much time to study the Word of God. So what I do is I just, I appreciate God so much. And like when there's a beautiful sunset, you know, Ken, I just sit there and that just, that moves me. Or did I tell you about that time, they would say, when it went to the Grand Canyon. Oh, it was amazing. I saw that. I, I'd never seen anything like it in my life. And I just stood there thinking, the glory of God. So see, Ken, when I see nature, you know, nature has become for me that evidence of the glory of God. So I, I don't really need the Word of God. I, I've got that. And it has secured in my mind and in my heart my belief in God. Well... You know what, like uh, Psalm 19 says that the heavens declare the glory of God, the firmament shows forth his handiwork, day into day under speech, night into night reveals knowledge. Hey, I get that. When I go out there and I see nature, I am moved by it. And it just fortifies the belief that I have in God. But here's what that experience does not do that experience while testifying to the reality of God doesn't tell me anything about God. It doesn't tell me what God expects of me. It doesn't give me any indication of which way I ought to go. Oh, I might believe on the basis of some of that evidence that God exists, but that would be about all. It isn't until God reveals himself to us that we know him and the way that God has revealed himself to us is through the word of God. And it is that message that we want our preacher to preach. I'm thinking about God's intention related to that word and kind of the whole whole scenario of history is wrapped up in Hebrews chapter one. Have you ever noticed that? It said God who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. Who being the brightness of his glory and express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they." One thing you might not have noticed about that passage is that all four of those verses encompass one sentence. (laughs) There's a lot in that sentence. But if you boiled it all down, here's what you get. God has spoken through his son. That's the message. He said there were great prophets of the past, but God is now not not speaking through them because their messages have been fulfilled. He is now speaking to us by His Son, through His Son. What was it that Paul said that those folks needed to be preaching? They needed to be preaching the message of God. I, I love this. It comes from actually Acts chapter 20 and verse 24. Paul's talking about his ministry the ministry that the Lord Jesus Christ had given him. He says, here's my ministry to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. It isn't to tell my own story. It isn't to philosophize. It is simply to reveal the truth. About Jesus Christ, and and Paul in particular, the impact that Jesus had had on his own life. How did that come about? Well, by the implementation of the Word of God. How'd he get that? Well, interesting story. Both Paul and Peter, I, I'm I'm guessing, had folks asking them about the message that they were preaching. Where'd you get this? In Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, Paul says, Well, this message of the gospel that I preach, it wasn't from man, nor was I taught it, but it came by revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter does the same thing in 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 16. He says, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed which you do well to heed as a light that shines in the dark place till the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. The message is from God. And he said right here in this text, that message has to be implemented. I, I hear it and then what? I do it. But who's going to tell me about that? Romans chapter 10, beginning at verse 14. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. But they've not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by... Hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Let's go in reverse. I hear the word of God. The word of God is the source. Where did that come from? Revelation of Jesus Christ. Inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Holy writ, the word of God. I read that, what happens? Faith develops. Wait, how did I hear it? Well, in this text he says, it came by means of a, well, you know, a preacher. A preacher. What was the good worth of that preacher? Well, you know, he's a good visitor. Hey, great, peace, wonderful. Hey, you know, he knows how to manage his money, his good reputation in our community. That's terrific. Uh, You know, he's got a good personality. We all like him. Wonderful. But what's he doing about men's souls? Is he preaching the word? Listen, preach the word. Let's start putting some things together because the ensuing weeks, we're gonna be talking about some more components. Next week, we'll be talking about leadership as regards our elders and deacons. We'll also be talking about responsibilities of church members. Were you wondering when I get around to that? It's coming. But let's think now for a minute. Let's just build this together. The leaders, our elders and deacons, the members, all of us together, preachers all of us are co-workers with Jesus Christ whose work is this it's the Lord's work we are all participants in a great work it should be a shame on us if we don't have a great church But the opportunity that we have before us is to remind ourselves of all these components, right? To realize, wait a minute, I'm a part of this. The Lord is expecting for us to be great, to be all that He's called us to be. So we're going to build, we are, we're going to build a great church. And we are, you and I, we are going to be expecting great preaching. And the reason why is because great preachers build great churches Chris
0: thank you brother Ken, for that wonderful lesson I uh, also want to thank each and every one of you for worshiping with us this evening uh, just a reminder you can share this with your friends and family uh, Spread it around as, as much as possible. I do have uh, just a few short announcements, uh, and then I will dismiss us in prayer. Sympathy is extended to the family of Billy Mormon. Also, sympathy is extended to the family of Dale Woodruff. This is the cousin of Adrian Edge. I want to remind everyone the food pantry will be open uh, tomorrow, Thursday, August the 20th, from 9 a.m. to 10.30 a.m. Also, a reminder that our annex is open daily till 6 p.m. If you have any needs at all, please come by there, or or you can pick up your communion supplies. Also, a great announcement uh, in your bulletin. uh, You should be getting that electronically for the ones of of you that do. Uh, There's an announcement that Sunday, August the 30th, we will once again meet in the building, so great news there. That's all the announcements I have at this time. If you'll bow with me, I'll dismiss us in prayer. Our Father in Heaven, we thank you for this wonderful evening we've gathered together to worship you. Father, we pray for all of those who are sick, especially, Father, we want to pray for Delma Sanchez, Donald Green, Luella Green, Jessica Wentz, Charlene Langley, Rick Wixom. Father, we pray that you will be with them, that you will be with their doctors, their caregivers, help them that they may recover and return to their most wanted places in life. Father, also, there are many others who are sick with the COVID disease. Father, we ask you that you be with them and their uh, caregivers. And also, Father, we rejoice with the ones who have recovered. Father, we pray that you will be with the leaders of our local government, our state, our federal, and, Father, also the world, that they will look to you for guidance in in helping us lead this world the way it should be. Father, we ask you that you'll be with each and every one of us, that as we go forth, that we will portray the life that you want us to before others and share your word with them. We ask that you go with us, guide us, and keep us near thee. In Christ's name, Amen.